left to ourselves, our situation would be absolutely hopeless. Trent Griffith explains. You and I, by our sin, had become slaves of sin. We had lost our freedom to obey God, love God, serve God. And through our own fleshly appetites, we're serving and worshiping and, and subjects of a, to a rival king. And we had no way out of this. We were shackled. Jesus modeled ministry by leaving his world and entering our world so we could ascend to his world. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Throughout the centuries, the church has rallied around a single set of unifying principles. We call it the gospel. Of course, there's a significant amount of diversity in the body of Christ, but all believers throughout all of history agree on the same foundational things. And that's what Pastor Trent is going to talk about today on Resonate. The message you're about to hear was recorded in early 2017, when our church was helping to plant another church in Central America. Here's Pastor Trent with more. This morning, I want to preach a message specifically to one person. That person is over here on the front row. It's Enrique Novella. Enrique, would you stand along with your family, Claudia and Jessica and Jaylene and Johanathan, and we're missing Karen, who's over in high school in Chicago. This is Enrique, who will soon be planting Harvest Bible Chapel in Belize. This is his last weekend with us, and uh, on Wednesday, they will be back in Belize. At the end of this service, we're going to hear from Enrique and uh, let us know how we can be praying for him. There's actually a prayer guide, a bookmark in your bulletin that you can be praying. How many of you would commit to be praying for Enrique's family, the church plant down in Belize? We're going to be with him. We're going to be coaching him, supporting him, and hearing back from him. And uh, Enrique, this is my last shot at you, Okay. So, so get a pen and a paper and get ready. Actually, for the past five months, we have been pouring into Enrique everything we know about church and church planting. We have been shaking him like a Coke bottle for about five months, and on Wednesday, we are popping the top, okay? So you can imagine how excited he is, and uh, we want to let him know that he is loved, but we also want to commission him and remind him of some things that the Lord would say to him as a church planter. So you guys can have a seat. Thank you so much. And uh, how many of you know that I was just joking about it being all about him? It's about you too, because this is about everyone that the Lord would use to build his church. And I know some of you showed up today and was like, I didn't come here to build anything. I'm just, I'm just, okay, well, we're going to pull you in, all right? Because the goal, as we've been walking through the book of Ephesians, is that we would walk worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And last week, we talked about having a deeper conviction about unity. This morning, we're going to have a deeper conviction about ministry. And we're going to look at four measures of a church that walks worthy. And we kind of started on it last week. It didn't quite get done last week. So we're going to talk, first of all, about this subject of unity. Let's just kind of begin in where we began last week, Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll begin in verse 1. Follow along with me. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then verse 
2 tells us those five ingredients that create unity in any church, any family, any organization. Here they are, with all humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, that's forbearance, and love, eager to maintain the unity in, of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope. Is anybody picking up a theme in verse 4? What's the key word? One. One body, one spirit, one hope that belongs to your call. Verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Do you know what the key to unity is? It's oneness. It's bringing yourself together with other people that believe the same thing. Now, that is not everybody's approach to unity. There's an organization in our community that has kind of piqued my interest. I drive by this building, and it, it has the word unity in its name. It's called, the, it's called the Universalist Unitarian. They don't call themselves a church anymore, and for that, I am grateful. They, they, don't need, they can't use our name because they don't believe in the same things we believe. They, they now call themselves the Universalist Unitarian Association. And so I'm like, I wonder what happens in there on a Sunday morning. And so I went to the website to kind of figure out what, what are the key values, what's the mission statement of this particular organization since they're all about unity. And I'm like, how do they create unity? And so I went to the website and this directly from the website is what it says. Unitarian Universalism is a theologically diverse religion that, is, that encourages people to seek their own spiritual path. Our faith draws on many religions. We are a movement that calls you to put more faith in yourself, your community, and your beliefs. Simply put, we are a guided path toward a better you and a better world. Well, unfortunately, that is a very broad path that leads to destruction. And uh, uh, we would lovingly say to somebody that would be a part of something like that, that is not the way you create unity. The way to create unity is not to embrace everything, it's to embrace one thing. And the first of those we've already read about in verse 4. We belong to one body. One body. You know what threatens unity? It is a spirit of autonomy that refuses to sacrifice personal independence to belong to something bigger than yourself. Now, some of you, the reason you checked out on church and the reason why you haven't become a church member is because you tried that one time and you got hurt because the body was imperfect. And so you sit back and build up walls and isolate yourselves. And like, no, I'm never gonna get hurt again because I'm never gonna attach myself to an imperfect body. Well, the problem with that is you are not attaching yourself to the body of Christ that he promised would prevail over the gates of hell. And so a spirit of autonomy is something that will prevent unity in your family and in your church. Uh, this past couple of weeks has been 
kind of a hard week for our church body. There's been a lot of people sick. There's been a, a lot of people actually have accidents and surgeries. And there's a lot of people in, our, in, in the hospital. And as I've gone to visit these people that are in kind of crisis situations, and, and what, what I have found there is almost all of them make the same statement to me when I, when I visit them. Do you know what they say? They say, I don't know how anybody that doesn't go to church gets through stuff like this. Because do you know what's been happening? The body has been wrapping their arms around those people, loving them and caring for them and praying for them and encouraging them. That's when you really need a body. And you don't really need a body until you're in crisis. And it's, it's sad but true that so many people pick up the phone and call the church office when they go through a crisis and yet they've never, never attached themselves to a church body or a small group up until that point. And that's kind of sad. And so the body is something to which we all belong to. Not only that, but we are led by one spirit, the Holy Spirit that's promised to guide us and comfort us. And what threatens this is an independent spirit, the human spirit that falls prey to every wind and whim and somehow thinks that we're going to have some personal revelation from God. No, it's the Holy Spirit that leads us all together. And thirdly, we are confident in one hope. It's it's crazy to me that every time we have a, go through a political season or an election process, our temptation is to look for a candidate or a party or an economic plan or science to save us. Listen, the hope of the church is that Jesus Christ will one day reign on the earth unrivaled as king. And so that's where we place our hope. We are following one Lord. There are too many people that feel like they can have a relationship with Jesus without surrendering to him. So often I hear people say, you know, I've trusted Jesus as my savior. I just haven't embraced him as my Lord. It doesn't work like that, folks. You can't pick and choose which titles of Jesus you want. If you refuse him as Lord, he will refuse to be your savior. And so it's in our submission to him that we all bring all of our, um, all of our individual freedoms and surrender them under his lordship. We are convinced of one faith. When it talks about faith here in the scripture, it's not just talking about a general belief, I'm a person of faith or I'm a faithful person. It's talking about putting your trust in one body of doctrine, things around which we all believe. And whether or not you can be unified in the church all depends on how you answer this question. How do you believe a person is made right with God? How do you answer that question? If we answer that question the same, we can be unified. If your answer sounds something like this, we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what your gender is. If you answer that question the same, we can be unified. We're convinced of one faith, not every faith, not any faith, one body of faith, one body of doctrine. We profess our faith through one baptism. And so it says there in verse five that there is one baptism. Now, 
Uh, that word baptism simply means immersion. It means to be saturated. It means to plunge into. And it could be talking about being plunged into the church, being plunged into the population of Christ followers. But the way that you are plunged into in a public sense is that you physically go through the waters of baptism and you're plunged into water. You're saturated with water. You're immersed and baptized with water. Now, what we're concerned with is this. If you are allowing fear of commitment or the fear of failure to be publicly baptized, it's really hard for us to be one because all of us who have been converted and baptized have gone through the process of looking like a drowned rat in a public worship service in order to declare I'm identifying myself with Jesus who lived, died, and was buried, and was raised again. You see, it's a drama. Lived, died, and buried, raised again. Oh yeah, that's that guy, Jesus, and I'm with that guy. Now, if you have been converted to Christ, if you have placed your faith in Christ, repented of sin, surrendered to him as Lord, congratulations. Have you been baptized since you were converted? You say, well, Trent, I, when I, I grew up in kind of a different faith system, and my mom and dad told me that they took me to church, and I was baptized as a baby. Uh, congratulations. Um, but uh, that accomplished nothing. Biblical baptism takes place after conversion. And so my question to you is this, have you been baptized on the right side of your conversion? If not, at the end of this service, there will be pastors standing here. You should come and say, you know what? I want to profess my faith through baptism. And now you can be embraced, immersed into the body that is the church of Jesus Christ. Number seven, we worship one God, not any God, one God and Father of all. What threatens our unity is all the gods with little g's, the lesser gods that we want to worship and bow down to. And yet what creates the unity is when we, we worship one God and Father. And I love the way that Paul inserts the phrase Father here because he must have been thinking about Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. Jesus prayed that his church would be unified. He prayed for us. And do you know what he said in John 17, 21? That they all may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you know what is at stake in our unity? It is that the world would believe that there is a God who sent his son to win a bride, the church, through love. And the world could be saved through this relationship we have with Jesus. And yet, if we can't get along in here, what, what right do we have to be believed out there in the world? That's what's at stake in being unified. It's the first measure of a church that walks worthy. Here's the second measure of a church that walks worthy. It's diversity. Love the balance in Scripture here. Notice here in verse 7. 
but, but is a contrasting conjunction. So he's now going to contrast unity with diversity. But grace was given to each one. Each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. I love this. Do you see the two-word phrase there, each one? Those seven statements in verses 4 through 6 applied to everyone. But the statement in verse 7 applies to each one. You see, there are some things that everyone must believe in order for there to be unity, but there are some gifts that God has given to each one that creates diversity. There is no one else uniquely like you because, do you see it? You have been given a gift by God's grace. He has gifted each one. Grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. Turn to your neighbor and say, God has given me a gift. Do you believe that? Now, what if I ask you to turn to your neighbor and to describe that gift? Would you even have a clue what it is? You see, those gifts that God has given are things that make you uniquely you. Some of you are extroverts, some of you are introverts. I like the introverts better, but... uh, um, can you guess which one I am? It's like, oh, but Trent, you seem so extroverted up there. Yeah, I'm a little different when I come down. Um, So anyway, God gives us different gifts according to the measure of Christ. And some of you are organizers, and some of you are planners, and some of you are more spontaneous, and some of you are funny, and some of you are not. And some of you, some of you have, have financial gifts, and some of you do not. And some of you have awesome gifts. Now, now here's the thing. Every Sunday, I stare into the faces of incredibly gifted people that did not use that gift for the purpose God gave it. I'm looking at people that did not spend a single second this week using that God-given gift to build God's kingdom. You use that God-given gift to build your kingdom. What did you do this week using your gift to build God's kingdom and God's church? And the things that you look at in this church or any other church and would have uh, the tendency to criticize and say, well, that's broken and that's missing and that's messed up. Do you know why it probably is? Is because you weren't in there plugging that hole. God gave you a gift to build this church. You see, it's this. Not only did God give you a gift, God made you a gift. You are a gift to the church to build up the body. And nobody can uniquely do what you do. And the reason you aren't using that gift is because you do not understand the third measure of a church that walks worthy, and it's this, ministry. Until you deploy that gift for the purpose which God gave it, you haven't embraced ministry. Now, we're going to read here that ministry 
is modeled by Jesus. Ministry is modeled by Jesus. Now, I'm going to read verses 8 through 10, but I want to give you a warning. This is a little warning label on these verses, okay? These verses are complicated. As a matter of fact, theologians and commentators can't quite come to unity about what they actually mean. And do you notice in verse 8, in your Bible, the way it's formatted, is it kind of bracketed or indented? How many of you have a Bible like that? Let me, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. That's a little clue for you that are reading your Bible that Paul, who's writing this, is quoting from another place in the Bible. And he's quoting from the book of Psalms, chapter 68. Psalm 68 has 35 verses. Paul just uses one of the verses, but when somebody in the New Testament quotes from the Old Testament, it's like a hyperlink. You click on it, and it takes you all the way back to those other verses. So, let me just read those verses to you, and then I'll do my best to try to explain it. Verse 8 says, therefore, notice it's that connecting conjunction. It's, he's still trying to explain unity and diversity in ministry, and so he says this, therefore, it says, Psalm 68, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. So it's in the context of gift giving. But then verse 9 says this. Paul gives a little commentary on Psalm 68, and he says it this way. In saying he ascended, everybody underline the word ascended in verse 9. What does it mean but that he also descended, underline the word descended, into the lower regions of the earth? Verse 10. He who descended, underline descended, is the one who also ascended, underline ascended, far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Everybody got it now? Everybody understand? Like, what in the world is this talking about, okay? Now listen, if you were to read all 35 verses of Psalm 68, it's a story about a conquering king who invades the territory of a rival king to set the captives free so that he can take them back to the first king's territory. And you're left wondering in Psalm 68, who is this king? But by the time you get to Ephesians chapter 4, we know who this king is, don't we? What is his name? King Jesus. What did King Jesus do? Well, first of all, he saw a bunch of captives who'd been captured by a rival king. Do you know who the captives are? It's you and me. You see, you and I, by our sin, had become slaves of sin. We had lost our freedom to obey God, love God, serve God. And through our own fleshly appetites, we're serving and worshiping and, and subjects of a, to a rival king, and we had no way out of this. We were shackled. And Psalm 68 says that our king descended from his throne and came down this hill into the valley, and he won the victory over the rival king 
setting you and I, the captives, free from sin by his work on the cross and his resurrection, he descended into the lowest regions of the earth, like in a tomb. That's pretty low. On a cross, in a tomb. But what happened three days later? He ascended. And when he ascended, he led you and I and every other captive of sin who would repent and believe, he allowed us to ascend to where he came from. Do you get it? Do you get it? Jesus modeled ministry by leaving his world and entering our world so we could ascend to his world. We couldn't ascend to his world until he first descended into our world so that he can take us with him when he ascended back to his. And so that's why it says in verse 8 that he ascended on high and led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. And so do you know what ministry is? Ministry is descending from where you are into where the need is. Do you understand there are captives all around us? They're sitting in cubicles next to you. They're sitting in algebra class next to you. They're sitting in Notre Dame classes next to you. They're in the mall. They're walking the streets. They're walking their dogs. They're living in homes next to you. And they're captives. And God has given you a gift the gospel of your salvation, the grace of God. And it is not deployed until you understand, I have to descend from church. I have to descend from my home and enter into where these captives are so that I can bring them to where Jesus is. That is the picture of ministry. And so we finally, after that very confusing verse, get down to verse 12. Why did he give these gifts? He tells us, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Ministry is modeled by Jesus. Ministry is a gift, but ministry can be defined as equipping. To equip simply means to furnish or to supply. In its original meaning, it actually means to restore something to its original condition. It means to put into service or into action. It's actually used as a medical term to set a bone. And so God gives you this gift to restore relationship to the way that it was supposed to be with God. Well, that's Trent Griffith, senior pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. He'll continue that message next week, right here on Resonate. So there's unity in Christ and yet diversity in the body. And that's probably true in your local church as well. You're unified around the truth of the gospel. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. And yet there's a variety of gifts that help build one another up. If you're looking for a church to call home, why don't you consider Gospel City Church? We meet at our main campus in Granger, as well as a campus in Elkhart County, Indiana. For more information about service times and the actual address of Gospel City Church, just go to mygospelcity.org. Again, that's mygospelcity.org. 
And why not follow us on Facebook for more great content? Just search for Gospel City Church. Well, in any occupation, you need the right kind of equipment to do it well. And next week, Pastor Trent will show us from Ephesians chapter four, what it means to be equipped for the ministry. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's word would resonate in your heart this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Gospel City Church, mygospelcity.org.